Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, so glad you guys are here. My name is Dustin. If it's your first time, I get the privilege of serving uh, as the pastor. And so uh, just from us to you, I'm excited you're here, excited you came to worship with us this morning. And so um, if you're a, a relatively normal person, you know that uh, we'll be in the book of Acts still this morning. Um, we'll be finishing up Acts chapter 8 and be going on to Acts 9. And so I mentioned this last week. I'll give you guys another heads up as y'all flip there. Uh, kind of the plan is we'll go through the end of Acts 9 in the next couple weeks. And then for June and July, or most of June and July, we'll take a little break from Acts. And then we'll pick up with it in the fall and August, and we'll finish it by the end of the year. And so we'll end up spending about a year in uh, the book of Acts. So um, good stuff for me anyway. So I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. So Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be um, and we'll pick up there and we'll uh, get going. And so if you want to, we'll read the first about four verses here in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And I'll pray and we'll jump into it. Sound good? Y'all good with that this morning? Yeah? Um, I will say as we get ready to jump into this, uh, just a special thanks for everybody that has served in our military. We won't do a stand up and clap for you thing, but um, we're thankful for you guys. It's just nice to... Uh, I think we take for granted how nice it is to be able to uh, to be able to to live in a country where we can worship freely, where we can um, come and honestly, you know, you, you go other places in the world and just be able to sleep at night with peace, you know, and not thinking that um, you know something could happen, and uh, that extends to religious freedoms as well. And so, if you have done that in your life, uh, we're very thankful for that, and hope that you enjoy. Uh, Memorial Day tomorrow as we celebrate that. Amen? Good? Awesome. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 8, we'll start in verse 26, and we will um, get going. It says, uh, let me just quickly catch up if you're new. We're in the book of Acts, which is Luke's account of uh, just the early church, how it got started. The the very first Christians on earth, and this is their account. Uh, we've, we've watched Peter kind of do some ministry. Uh, we watched Stephen do some ministry. And now we're watching Philip do some ministry in Acts chapter 8. And then towards the rest of the book, it'll be uh, a guy named Paul that gets radically saved, and he kind of takes it from there. And so uh, if you remember last week, we'll contrast a little bit of uh, Philip with Simon the sorcerer. He was the one who uh, was the magician and wanted to uh, use God's power for his for his kingdom, and he wanted to buy God's power. And then we come across uh, Philip, and he encounters this eunuch. And so, if you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, Jim told me that you could ask him after service. And oh, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, we'll unpack it in just a minute, and we'll get going. But anyways. Uh, so he encounters this eunuch, and it's kind of evangelism put on a T for us, okay? Um, what do you mean put on a T? It's just right there. He's reading scripture that's all about Christ. He has never heard the gospel, and Philip's able to teach it to him, and we'll pull out some evangelism from that. So what we'll do is, is we'll read the first uh, few verses, we'll pray, and we'll jump into it. So it starts like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip... Rise and go towards the south. So there in Jerusalem, he's going south, which would be towards like the Africa area, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, or Gaza, they pronounce it both ways. This is a desert place. That's important. We'll see in a minute. And he rose and went. So he's walking, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. The eunuch was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And that's where we'll stop. This eunuch, we're introduced to him, and he's reading scripture, and we'll unpack what kind of happens from there. So let's pray together. Um, ask God to uh, grow us and use this time, and we'll get going. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for who you are. Um, Father, we're thankful for your grace and mercy. Uh, God, that for all you've done for us, Lord, that, um, God, everything we have, we don't deserve. God, you've given us all we need in the cross and for providing salvation. And, Lord, I pray now that, uh, God, as we expound upon your word, I pray that it would uh, get in our life. God, would it grow our foundation of understanding who you are? God, I pray that it would stir our affections and love for you, God, that it wouldn't be something that's stale and just in our minds, but also something that gets in our heart and challenges our sin, our, our sinful uh, nature, God, it challenges who we are and how we live in everyday life. And Lord, I just pray that your word would, uh, God, in some way change us this morning. God, we know as we expound upon it, your word says it won't return void. And so, God, I pray that 
this morning for our lives. And so, Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for your word. And it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody says, amen, amen. And so we get introduced to this, uh, this unit guy. And I, I talked about how uh, kind of easy this is set up for Philip to evangelize this guy. It's kind of put on a tee. And it, it got me thinking um, very similarly of, of how, you know, easy things are when we uh, kind of see where God's working and work in the midst rather than either trying to force things or trying to do the opposite or not looking for opportunities to share the gospel at all. And so it got me thinking, and uh, it, it honestly got me thinking hard because I was trying to come up with something to, to think through to kind of relate this to. And it made me think, um, if, if you've had kids before, you'll know exactly what I mean. If not, you're probably the aunt and uncle that my, my, my brother and his, I guess they're not married yet, his fiance are. But I, I feel like at Christmas time, it's kind of a joke in our family that uh, we now have a child that's at the age where all the presents he gets have to be put together. You know what I mean? Y'all probably can tell right now where I'm going with this. And so I feel like it's the running joke in our family that everybody walks into Walmart and they could care less what they get back to our, our child for Christmas. In the back of their mind, they're thinking, what's the hardest thing for Dustin to have to put together? You know what I mean? How can I? He's a preacher. We want to try him. You know, he's, he's sinful. He's, he's got, you know, he's got the flesh and the spirit working against each other too. And how can we get him as angry as we can? Okay. And so it works. I get frustrated every year. And there was actually um, a funny thing that happened this year. Dak's got a, a cool little remote control. I say it's cool. It's cool now that it's put together. And we know how it works, but, uh, it, it's a track and it has a remote control. You put batteries in it and um, Rachel gets it out one uh, day or two after Christmas and is putting it together. She gets busy, has to do something. You know, the little boy's fired up and she, she, he wants me to finish it. So I get it out and I start putting it together. I'm frustrated. I cannot figure out how this goes. So I send Dax to go ask Rachel, my wife, how does, how does this put together, you know? And he comes back and I'm, I'm struggling with the bridge. It's a remote control track and it has a bridge and um, so he, I said, go ask mommy where the bridge goes. And I think at this point, I'm just frustrated. I just don't want anybody around me, you know, like, just go ask mommy, you know, that type thing. And uh, so he goes in there and of course he comes back and he says, daddy, mommy said, look at the directions. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, probably a good idea. Don't you think? And I don't say anything back. I just hold it in. And so the best part was I looked down and she had the directions out. That's why it looked like she knew what she was doing. And I didn't look like I knew what I was doing. And she had the directions out, and we glanced down, and at the same time, Dax and I, okay, let me remind you, he was two then, we looked down at the piece of paper, and he goes, look, Daddy, there's the bridge. Like, <laughs> the next page of the directions laid out perfectly for me were that, right? It was, it was the, the bridge part of putting this thing together and make it work. Okay, I say all that. I know it's great. It's funny, but I say all that because much like me having it laid out perfectly for me. It was my, primarily my pride that got in the way for me to use that, right? And then my wife got to come in and say the best four words any, you know, spouse can say to the other one, I told you so, you know, just always tell you, look at the directions. And so, uh, but I say that because it's the same way with evangelism when we peel it back, right? God's given us the spirit. He's given us the power. He is working in the world all around us. And he's given us his word to have concrete evidence to, to talk through from, but a lot of times it's either our pride or our ignorance or that type of thing that, that gets in the way. And so this morning, what we'll see in this story as we go back through it, what we'll see is it was pretty simple, okay? This passage is not anything crazy. There's not any overly deep theological things that go on here. But what we see is that Philip was sensitive enough to the Spirit to, to try to be prompted to see where God was working in his everyday life. But he was also ready enough that he knew God's word enough, as we'll see in 2 Timothy, he was ready in season and out of season to share the gospel whenever the opportunity arose. And so what we'll do is this morning is we're going to read through and kind of learn about the eunuch, understand what goes on with him and Philip. And then we'll contrast quickly Simon from last week. I'll give you a brief description of who he was. He was a guy that just wanted uh, God's power. He wanted to, uh, he asked if he could pay money to have, you know, the miracles that Peter and John were doing. He wanted God for all the wrong reasons. And then we encountered the eunuch here, and he wanted God for all the, what we can think here is the right reasons, okay? And so we'll see that. We'll contrast those two, and then we'll look at Philip and how Philip evangelized the eunuch. So we'll contrast, and then we'll look at Philip. So let's briefly go through this passage 
Um, it's just 14 verses. We'll go through it verse by verse, unpack it so we understand, and we'll get going. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I will say, when angels speak to you, it's probably a little easier to be prompted, okay? Um, that, that's probably not the ordinary means now, okay, of, of God wanting to work in your life or saying, go talk to this person. But it's what happened with Philip. And the, the, the angel says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so he's going south through the desert. If you can think of the geography here, okay? They're going from Jerusalem, which is already hot and dry, straight through Africa. So you think of, you know, when you're in second grade and they showed you pictures of the Sahara. and I, The Sahara is in Africa, I hope. Um, I didn't double check that part of my sermon, okay? But um, he's going through big desert area, okay? Dry, um, no rain, that type thing. And so they're going through there. And it says there was an Ethiopian... A eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Okay, let me tell you who the eunuch was and just explain this, okay? So if you don't know a, a eunuch, it was a people that were castrated, okay, or males that were castrated. And so what would they, the reason they did this is because they often did this in ancient civilizations because they didn't want the young boys um, that were serving the queen for there to be any physical attraction going on, right? And so you think about that today. Today, we're more prideful, and we think um, we don't have to worry about that. At least they admitted that there could be issues, and so they tried to solve them. I will say um, in the Old Testament and God's law, that's not what God has, God has intended for us when we're made in the image of God, okay? He wants us to be redeemed and procreate, etc. But that's what the eunuch was. That's what he did. And the reason they did this is because he was serving a very high up woman. Okay, She was the, the queen. She was the wife of the king. And what they would do is in those ancient civilizations is the king they thought was so high up. He was so uh, distant. He was so important. They didn't want him to have to do any actual work. And so what they would do is, is they would actually give all the responsibility, the day-to-day -day affairs of their, uh, their civilization, is they would give that to the queen. And so the queen had these servants that would kind of handle the business, so to speak, and uh, the eunuch was one of them, and it says that he was over her treasure. So probably like a modern-day CFO, okay, for the, for the Ethiopian area, okay, is probably the best way to think of it. And so um, we do know that the Ethiopian uh, range at that time wasn't just the country of Ethiopia. It was really everything south of Egypt. It was that whole entire desert area going all the way down through central Africa. Okay, so that's who the eunuch is. It said he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Now listen, we're, we're going to get into evangelism here in a minute, but if, if we're walking around the park and somebody's reading the Bible and, some, and we feel prompted to go talk to them, that's kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, evangelism on a tee. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, God wants you to go share with somebody. You're not going to have to start from some broad idea. This guy already has a scroll of the Old Testament in front of him. Okay, And so we, we, we learn here that the eunuch had probably been introduced to God in some way because he has a scroll. He understands a little bit of what's going on. But as we know in our culture, which is very relatable to the eunuch here, just because somebody has an understanding of God and that there is a God does not mean that they understand and believe the gospel. Amen? There can be a vast difference in being around God, knowing about God, having an idea who God is, or even that there's a creator, etc., but there's a big difference in that and knowing that Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross and we have placed faith, we've placed faith in that for our salvation. Amen. And so that's why Philip is prompted to go talk to him. He asked him what he reading, he's reading. And then in verse 31, and he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? So he says, Do you understand? And he answers him with another question. It's interesting how it's all questions. I think this is good practice for evangelism, right? Maybe ask more questions than you do tell people. Ask how, what they think about life, what purposes, etc. We'll talk a little more about that. And then it says, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the path, passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Now, if this is not a good passage for you to evangelize someone with, it, it's going to be hard for us to evangelize. But this is what he's reading. Isaiah 53 is where it comes from. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Who's the he he's talking about here, church? Jesus. Who? Jesus. He, he's the one that was led to the slaughter. So naturally, we'll see in a minute, he'll ask, who is he talking about? 
Who's the he in this passage? It should be a natural question for most Jews, okay, if you come from a Jewish tradition, but it should be a question for all of us because if you hear a prophecy from the Old Testament thousands of years before that, before Christ, then it should naturally say, what's going on here, okay? If all these prophecies can point to one event, then there's probably some truth behind it. And he says, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And his humiliation, justice was denied him. He's saying he was humiliated to the point Jesus didn't get a fair trial. He was just purely humiliated and pushed to the side. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from earth. It's interesting there. It says his life was taken to earth. But as we know, when we're taken from earth, that's not the end. right? We live forever. And so that's an allusion to that idea, that big idea. And then in verse 34, it gets good. He says, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Is Isaiah talking about him or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Let me pause there. We, we've talked about this at length a few weeks ago, but... We see that the first step clearly after salvation is baptism, right? The eunuch gets saved. He understands the gospel. He believes. And then the next thing he does is he gets baptized, okay? I do think this is important. Why? They're in a desert. So if you wonder if baptism is important in your steps of obedience, just think about this. This meeting's not random. They're walking through a desert where there's no water. And just happen chance, he's reading scripture, and happen chance as they start walking, they come by water. You see what I'm saying? It's like he, he, there's just this stuff going on that is too much to be on accident. God's ordaining all of this, and we can learn from it. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39, which is a, a often verse that people use and, and we would use to say that there's a difference in just um, being fully submerged when it says baptism and coming out. But we see here that they come up out of the water, right? Meaning that they were all the way in and they came all the way out. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, his real life teleporting, and the eunuch saw him no more. And what did he do? He stopped. He didn't tell anybody about Jesus. He walked back into sin. He did all know. And he went on his way rejoicing. Important, okay? But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And then we pick up later there what happens when he's there. So we have this story of the eunuch. We see what's going on. And so what I want to do now is I want to contrast the, the humility and, and what the eunuch does when he hears the gospel versus what Simon the sorcerer did last week. I'll give you a quick description. Okay, Simon was the one who was a magician. He had done these great things, and then he sees the power of God, and he wants the power of God. He doesn't want obedience, okay? And he gets called out for that. And so we get introduced to the eunuch who sees the gospel, understands it, submits to it, and then we have Simon the sorcerer who just wants God's power, okay? And so there's two quick things I want to contrast between Simon and the eunuch, and they'll be up on the screen. The first one is this, and I think this is easy and will relate it to us today. But the first one is that Simon wanted to earn grace for his glory. The eunuch wanted to know God to extend his. You see the difference there? What we see that went on with Simon and the, and the sorcerer is that he wanted to do something. What did he want to do to earn grace? Okay, that's kind of an oxymoron in itself. It's like a level hill, okay? You can't earn grace. That's what makes it grace. It's undeserving to us. But the, the sorcerer, Simon, was so self-centered, he wanted to do something to be able to take some credit. So what did he want to do? He wanted to pay for it. He wanted to pay for the power of God after he saw Peter and John come and do these things. And so what we see is that he was attached to the glory himself. He wanted it. Listen, this is why the gospel turns our pride and all of us wanting self-glory upside down. We talk about this a lot. The, 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 the gospel is not only a works issue, it's a glory issue. That's why Romans 3.23, when we explain to people how simple they are, we say um, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, what does that mean? It means that all of us, 
in a, in a sense, are wanting our own glory, okay? We want ourselves to be on the pedestal. We want to be the ones worship. We want life to revolve around us, which is no different than the sorcerer. But that's why Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not by works, so that no man can boast. You follow me here? It's natural for all of us to be Simon. It's not natural for all of us to be the eunuch. And so what we see is that Simon wanted to earn grace for his glory. The eunuch just wanted to know God. He wanted to know truth, and he wanted to extend it. And think about how easy that is for us as we come to God and we often want something, right? We come to God usually when we're at a, a, a place where um, we need something. The eunuch's at a place where he just wants truth, but... The sorcerer, Simon, he wants power. He wants something else. And so what we have to do is, is we have to bull ourselves back. And listen, this is where it kind of gets personal when we start applying this stuff. Is you, You're the only one that knows when you come to the Lord. You're the only one that can say, I come to the Lord when things are good. I come to him when I'm in the valley. I come to him when I'm on the mountain. But what we see here is that we should come to him all the time. Right? We don't come to God like Simon trying to manipulate him. I don't want to get too much because into this because it's the, the next point. But this is kind of what it leads us thinking. This is the conclusion we draw between those two in this point is that we should walk in devotion to God with no motive. Right? We don't come to God and say, God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Right? We don't negotiate with God. He's the God of all creation. We don't negotiate with him. Understanding that we having what we have in Christ, what God has done for us in Christ, um, solving our biggest issue, maybe not the most minute ones that we ask him for, but solving our, our central big issue and understanding what he did for us in Christ is enough to satisfy us and cause us to never question God again, right? Because you think about it. Most times when we're negotiating with God, it's for a temporary physical thing. And what that has done is caused us to get our eyes off the eternal spiritual things. Y'all follow me on this? And what Simon wanted was the temporary physical power of God. What the eunuch wants is the spiritual side of things that he understood that the gospel could give him. Right? The eunuch didn't come saying, God, make me rich. Get me out of this situation. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing. He says, tell me who this is that can cover my sins. Right? We, we, we often find ourselves in a place where we are so focused on the physical and the now that we forget what Christ has done for us for eternity, right? And that's what happens when we contrast these two and what we see. The second thing we see here, and I think this is important, and I'll try to relate it to make it a little more practical, but Simon wanted to manipulate God's power. The eunuch wanted to extend God's grace, Okay. He wanted to manipulate the power of God. He said, can I have what Peter and John have? Can I have that power, okay? He wants to be able to do what God can do, which is similar to Genesis 3, what the issue with Adam and Eve were, right? If you, do, if you eat from this tree, then you will know good from evil. You will be like God, is what they said, which is what Simon is wanting, which is no different than us today. We often want to see God's power, but then we don't want to play a part in extending His grace. It got me thinking, and I don't... Uh, if there's a plumber in here, I know we have a couple, but I don't see them, okay? But once upon a time, I was, this is a real story. I don't know why I started with once upon a time. It makes me feel fake. But um, uh, once upon a time, I was living in Vidalia. Uh, I was pastoring there, and we had a plumbing issue, and a plumber comes up, and like a good preacher, you know, I'm talking to him, and I'm trying to steer the conversation spiritual because, you know, I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do. If I'm sitting here watching this guy work on his back, sweating for a little while, I can at least offer him, you know, some spiritual conversation, I guess. And so we get to talking. Well, it turns out he's a believer, okay? Or I think he's a believer, and he's talking about the church he goes to. And uh, he starts talking, and a couple things he says that strikes me is we're talking, and he starts saying things like, if you pray harder and say the right things, then you can get God's attention, and he'll do things for you, right? And that's kind of how he's talking. It's like, if, if your prayer sounds good, or if you do this, and then he says, you know, if, if in the service you set the mood right, and there's like this, you know, it just feels right, you know, and he's just getting into this. Then, then that's when God will move. That's when people will get saved. That's when things will happen, okay? And it started reminding me when I read this about Simon and contrasting this with the eunuch is what we can understand from that in that conversation with this plumber guy, okay, um, is what we can understand is, listen, 
We don't have to manipulate God to get his attention. That's what ball worshipers did in the Old Testament. The one true God that we serve, listen, there's no more attention that he could have paid to us than when he ordained his own son to go to the cross and shed blood to solve our sin issue, which was much bigger than any earthly issue for us, that as long as we would just trust him, place faith in him, no works on our part, that if we would do that, then we could be saved from our big issue and spend eternity with him. You see what I'm saying here? Is when we get to that place, that's when it starts, we start understanding why we need the gospel, why we need to understand that we don't necessarily need to beg for God's attention or try to manipulate God. We can't do that. He already has given it to us, okay? And what we do now is we walk in obedience. The second thing is, is that he would often, you know, he'd say things like, you know, we, we, we need to do things to manipulate him. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been around this, but like we need to cheer God on. You know, like he's not powerful enough. You, you get in a situation and you're just hoping God will do it. And you're like, come on, God, come on, God. You know, God is almighty. Y'all follow me here? Oftentimes when we get into these situations, it's because our view of God is smaller and he's much bigger. Okay? If, if Genesis 1 is true, then he can do anything in our life. What we come to realize is that if Genesis 1 is true, that he could speak everything into existence and that he would ordain his own son to come and be the sacrifice for us. What we can conclude is, is that our journey on earth has less to do with our temporary things and physical things we need, but he's shaping us for eternity, right? He's shaping us to be more like Christ. He's trying to draw us to him. He's trying to make us more like Christ so that when we get to be with Christ, we can understand more of God's glory. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's that when we have an eternal view and a big view of God, it causes us to think much more like the eunuch than it did Simon. We're not trying to beg God or manipulate God for his power. We're just like, God, teach me your truth. Give me an eternal lens on life. And that's what we see with the eunuch. You see, we said that Simon wanted to manipulate God's power. That's what we've been talking about. And the eunuch wanted to extend God's grace. It's really interesting. This is actually really cool. Is actually there are several churches that believe church tradition is. And church tradition is usually true. It just keeps coming out as we do archaeological evidence that church tradition is true. But there are several African tradition or African churches that believe that they draw their church all the way back to the eunuch. Okay, um, when they started evangelizing in, in Africa uh, about a thousand years later, kind of towards the south end, what they realized is, is that the gospel had already kind of spread down there a little bit. There were pockets of Christians and they didn't know why. And most people believe it's because the eunuch, after he got saved, after Philip told him the gospel and it says that he went on rejoicing in the passage. What they're saying is that he just kept going down and kept sharing the gospel. And so what we see there is, is that when we understand the gospel, we understand what Christ has done for us. We're, we're not, we don't become like a dam on a river where we want to stop the gospel from flowing and celebrate it like the gospel is all about us. But rather we become a vessel for the gospel. We become somebody that the gospel can flow through just like it did with the eunuch. And so we see the difference between the eunuch's humility and Simon the sorcerer's pride and how he wanted to use God for him, right? Think about this. The eunuch wanted to work for God, and Simon really wanted God to work for him. See what I'm saying? Simon wanted to somehow use God to prop himself up, and the eunuch wanted to just serve God to prop Christ up. And there's a much different uh, attitude and avenue of how we live and think when we divide ourselves into those two things. And so that's what we see between the eunuch and Simon. The next thing I want to do is I want to kind of shift our lens to what uh, Philip did. What did Philip do that was so important for us? And the first thing he did is we, or the first thing that we see is we see Philip's readiness. Okay, I, I, I didn't know a better way to explain that, but we see that Philip was ready to share the gospel. We see that he understood it. He was equipped. He was in the right state of mind. He was uh, ready to be obedient to God, submit to God, not do what he wanted to do because he had something more important. He was in a good place to do that. It makes me think about 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to read just a few verses there because I think they go along with Philip's readiness. But this is what it says. Think about this. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's trying to explain to him what to do to help grow the church, to help grow the kingdom, to help grow the believers. And this is what he says to him. 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. This is what he tells him to do. Focus now, okay? Preach the word. Fall back on the word. What he's saying there is, this is our stability. This is our foundation. Use this when you share the gospel. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. Reboot. Sorry, reboot. I don't know what that is. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Check this out. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Think about this. The easy thing for Philip when he encountered them was to not be ready with the true gospel and to just twist it a little bit to make it easier for the eunuch to receive. You see what I'm saying there? And what he does is he's ready with the true gospel to preach the word to him, to preach the word in flesh, Christ to him, so that he could understand and be saved, okay? There's a couple things we learn from this. The first one quickly is this, is that if you want to justify your sin, there's probably a theologian now or in the past that will give you license to do so, right? There's probably a, a, a preacher or a theologian or somebody that will somehow take this, twist it, water down, whatever you want to do, and will make it sound better so that it's quote-unquote more applicable or more like God, right? And that's where people get stuck between are you going to please people, as Galatians 1.10 says, or are we going to please God? And that's where that distinction starts happening. So we see that Philip didn't do that. And the second thing was is that he was ready in season and out of season. Listen, when Philip took off, when he told him to go, he's kind of like Abraham in that sense. He didn't know where he was going, what he was going to do, why he was going there. He was just walking in obedience on a regular old day, and then boom, got to encounter this, right? We talk about this a lot. This is probably like much more of an encounter you would have on Monday than it is Sunday in church. This is much more of a Monday story than us coming to worship and somebody getting saved. This is you showing up to work, your coworkers going through a divorce, they're not sure what life's about. You instead of telling them that they're a sinner going to hell, they're getting a divorce, blah, 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 you just start asking questions. Right? Like Philip did. Why did you get married? Where do you think marriage came from? Why do you why do you think you're here on earth? You see what I'm saying? And let them answer. Talk them through it with questions like Philip was doing with the eunuch. But what it does is, is it shows us to be ready. But here's the hard part about our readiness, right? I often don't think our readiness, our readiness is kind of separated into two categories. We can know everything and be ready with knowledge. But if we're not in a good place with the Lord, then we're not going to be sensitive enough to the Spirit to know that God's trying to work around us. You see what I'm saying there? There's both sides to this. And there's probably people that land all over in here, okay? Some of you in here right now, if somebody came up to you, you could probably be a phenomenal, uh, give them a list of apologetics as to why Christ is true, why there's a God, why there's morality, etc. And go down the list and explain to them that there's a God, okay? But if you have that knowledge, but you're not walking in a good place with the Lord, asking God how you can submit to Him and be a vessel for the gospel, then chances are you're going to hoard that knowledge and that knowledge is not going to pour out of you. You see what I'm saying? But the flip side is there's people in here probably, this was me at one point, that we're believers. We, we come, we, we want God to work through us, but there's not the discipline there to learn the gospel, to learn the scripture, to be able to share it. Right? And the reality is both of those people can grow. And the reality that is is we all fall into one of these categories. Okay? It's we either need to pray that God would make us more sensitive to his spirit, that he could work through us. And the other side is, is that God would give us the courage and discipline to say, maybe I've been coming to church for 30 years, but I've never actually opened the Bible and read it and studied it for myself. You see what I'm saying? Is that there's a spectrum of all of that. But for God to work through it, we have to be at a place where that can happen. What we do know is, is that if we're not in a good place, then we don't share the gospel, then there's a 100% chance nobody can come to know Christ through us, right? But if we share it, and maybe one out of ten times you realize you don't have the answer to that person's question, then you struggle, right? But the other nine, you have the opportunity to share it. Listen, nobody in here is Google for God. 
Nobody, right? I'm not Google for God. I, listen, I study diligently. I try to know. But there are things to this day people will ask me about the most random small things that maybe I read something about, you know, six years ago. But I don't know. But what we do know is, is that we become grounded enough in the truth that we can have the answers we need to lead them to Christ, right? And if we don't know, that just shows us all the more that we have room to grow, that none of us in here have all the knowledge or are ready. And so how do we stay in a good place to be ready? Just a couple encouragements to do that. Number one is, I think when we're walking in community, we have a much better chance to be ready to share the gospel, right? Because what happens is when we get isolated from community, when we're not being encouraged and filled up uh, by, by the people of God and God poured into us by other people around us, you're not going to stay encouraged. You're going to be isolated. And isolated people get more turned inward than outward. It's just natural. That's what our flesh does to us. And so you get isolated and your life becomes about us and it's like all of it revolves around me and I'm not thinking about other people. You see what I'm saying? But then you find people around you that are saying things like, man, I was just trying to, you know, have a spiritual conversation with this guy at work. You know, light bulb goes off. Man, I should probably do that too. How did, how did you get to that place? And conversations start bouncing, but there's no encouragement if we're isolated from that. The second thing is, is be having the word poured into us. That's why an every Sunday thing is important. Listen, it's not like if you don't show up on Sunday, we're like, rah, 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 right? We're not the police. We're not. But some of y'all smiled at that. I don't. Okay. But what, what, there is, what is important, okay? What is important is that the word is being poured into you because that's how you're built up and sanctified. And that's what's going to give you the encouragement to go. You see what I'm saying here is that there's no way if we're isolated, we're going to be vessels for the kingdom. The only way we will be is if we are walking in community and having the word poured into us because it's double sided. You could have the knowledge from 20 years ago. But I almost guarantee if you're not walking with the Lord daily in Scripture and praying for lost people in your life, you're not going to have the courage to step out on faith and share the gospel with them. Is that fair enough? Good? Amen? Yep. And so we have to be at a place to where we're wanting to do that. What we see from Philip, and I think this is important to wrap this up, is that we must be sensitive enough to the Spirit to sense an opportunity and be versed enough in God's Word to capitalize on it. Right? We have to be sensitive enough that we say God wants me to share with this person or talk to this person or get out of my own self for a minute and get rid of my own issues for a second and think about God trying to work in the person next to me. But then also be well versed in God's word enough that we can actually capitalize on it. Because if we don't know God's word enough and can share the gospel enough to capitalize on it, then he can't work through us anyways. And so we have to be able to do both. And so the question becomes for application is, which of those categories would you fall in now? Okay, maybe you're a 9.9 .9 in both. Okay, I, I, I used to sometimes in our uh, small groups, we'd go around and I'd say on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how's your week been spiritually? Well, I had these, these two guys probably in one of my first small groups ever in Vidalia. Both of them just... I don't know, I said clearly living in sin would always say, and I had like a 9.9 this week. I'm like, you're not a 9.9, okay? I didn't say that to him, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, how do I help this person? You know, like, you're a 9.9. Oh, did you just have like a great time in the Word this week? Nah, I got busy at work, you know, but I listened to one worship song on Wednesday, and that's not 9.9, okay? I don't know what standard we're working off of, okay? But I say that to say, listen, Maybe you're 9.9 .9 in both, but there's still a point one. okay? I think if we're all transparent and honest enough, there's probably a lot of growth that we can all do in both sides, okay? Whether that be being ready from a courage standpoint or being ready from being versed in God's Word standpoint. So that's being ready in season and out of season. The second thing is this, and this is the last thing, and we'll talk through it and we'll be done. But the second thing is Philip's presentation, Okay. We can see from Philip's presentation, he was very strategic in how he went about this, okay? He, he didn't just do random things or understand random things. He went straight to the Scripture. Listen, one thing I will say when we present the gospel to people, okay? Just get real relatable with me for a minute. I'm going to try to strip back the, the preacher dust and understand this and just try to be relatable. What we often do when we share Christ, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we can rely a little too much on our own experience, okay? Think about this. When, when Philip goes to share with this person, 
He goes back and it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture. Okay? Because what happens is, is we know that when we share our experience, our experience of our salvation is subjective to God's truth. Right? Maybe sometimes you've shared something about God and your experience of getting saved and it's anti-biblical, but God would still work through us in our ignorance to save them, right? I don't think that would happen, okay? But what we know is, is that when we're sharing the gospel, if we boil the gospel down to the truth of God's word, then we're going to be able to give a presentation of how someone can be saved. Listen, this is one of the things we talk about in Heart and Soul and why I'm so passionate about it is because I think if we're all honest and some random day somebody came out and said, in your own words, this might be a good practice for homework. I've never given homework from stage before, but here you go. Go write out the gospel from a theological standpoint that has nothing to do with your life. You see what I'm saying? Like, Write it out from a standpoint of where would you start? How do you walk them to Christ without it having to do with your testimony? Listen, not that your testimony is not powerful, right? God's given you your testimony for you to leverage that for the kingdom. But we must understand that the gospel is different. So think about this. Let me give you four quick ways that we explain the gospel that I think helps us understand how we can do this. The first one is when you share the gospel, we have to start with who God is. Okay? Why do we have to start with who God is? Because if we don't start with who God is, when we begin explaining this, the gospel to somebody, then it either becomes very centered on them or we miss God's big picture. Okay, There's usually one of two things that happens. And you say, well, why can we get too centered on them for evangelism? Why is that not bad? Listen, there's, there's really two reasons I've heard why we evangelize. Okay, the, the first one being we evangelize because we don't want that person to go to hell and spend eternity away from God. Listen. That is a good motive, okay? And that's a true motive. But the reality of that is it doesn't start and end with God. It starts and ends with that person. You see what I'm saying? It makes that person the center of the gospel, but we want God to be the center of the gospel. Y'all follow me here? Think about it like a bridge. We, we're walking across the bridge of salvation. We're over here. We're, we're separated because of sin. I'm over here. God's over there. I'm walking across. The, 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 the bridge is across. We're walking across. The goal of salvation is not for us to get on the bridge and say, look at me. I'm saved. You see what I'm saying? And us walk around beating our chest, bragging everybody that I got saved. Because who does that make the object of salvation? Who does that make it revolve around? You or me. See what I'm saying? The goal of our salvation is to get us to God so that he can get the worship that he deserves. We evangelize not because our friends might go to hell, which is a true statement, but we evangelize so that the God that is worthy of all glory gets the glory that he deserves. You follow me there? And that's what Philip understood. That's why he didn't start and end with the eunuch or why he didn't start and end with himself. He just went to scripture and presented the gospel. So as we share and evangelize, we've got to begin and end with God once again because it's a glory issue. And God created all of this, all of everything for his glory, right? And he saves us. He reconciles a people to himself so that they can glorify him. Now, I know there's somebody in here who's thinking that sounds narcissistic, right? If you just peel that back, God is... So much about himself that he would save people to give himself glory. Here's the, here's the most beautiful picture where Christianity meets the crossroads. Why it's beautiful. is because when we are most satisfied in God or when God is most glorified. Right? When we come to God and say, God, you are the reason I'm here. I want to give all the glory to you. That's when we actually are the most satisfied. So it goes hand in hand. Listen, it's not bad and narcissistic of God because what's best for him is also best for us. Y'all follow me with that? It's, it's like this. I, I was trying to think of an example. It's like when you give your money uh, to an investment company. How do they make money? Off of your money. So really both parties win. You see what I'm saying? Like you give them to make you money, but then they also make money. Very, very similar in how the gospel is working is that God is saving people because it's the best thing for us to glorify God. That's where we find utmost satisfaction. That's where Paul says, you know, you get peace that surpasses all understanding because we understand the deeper things in life that we're here not for the physical now, but we're here for God to give him all the glory that he deserves. 
And so when we come to understand that, that's when we come to a place where we realize that we are most satisfied when God is most glorified, right? When we understand that, that's when it goes. Okay, so remember we got into this because we're just unpacking the gospel. It starts and ends with God, okay? The next thing we walk to, the next thing we see is, is that, or how do we explain God? God is all creating. God's how we got here. God gives us our purpose. God gives us our purpose in marriage. He gives us our purpose in work. He creates our whole worldview. Everything begins and ends with God. But there's one problem with that from Genesis 1 when we realize he's all creating. And that's two chapters later with Genesis 3. Okay, the very beginning of the Bible. Because what happens is, is Adam and Eve are walking with God perfectly. They're in perfect relationship with him. But that relationship is broken. Okay, And sin enters. And that's where we have to get that person we're talking to to understand their sin. Now, I'm not telling you these four steps between God, sin, Christ, and response for you tomorrow at work when your coworker comes in and they say, I'm struggling. And you start sharing the gospel and you say, hold on. Let me get out my notes. Here's the four steps. That's weird. Okay? We don't want to be weirdos. Okay? If it means weirdo, it means obedience to Christ. I don't mean weirdo in that sense. Okay? But... We don't want to whip out the sheet and be like, oh, let me tell you, you know, uh, read uh, passage 1A, you know. But when we understand what we're trying to walk that person to, right, when we begin with the end in mind of where we're trying to get them, it all flows and makes sense. And so we, we teach them who God is. We teach them they're simple, which is not the easy part, right? But here's how you can do that. If you ask anybody in the world, in our culture now, if there's something wrong with the world, Everybody will agree to that, right? There's political issues, cultural issues. It doesn't take long. And usually what you can boil that down to is most people will say, well, the issue lies out there. The issue doesn't lie within myself. And that's where the gospel starts. The rubber starts meeting the road, so to speak, is when we can lead them to say we have all played a part in this whole system being messed up because we're all messed up. And what we realize then is, is that when they start realizing that, you just ask them simply, who has lied to you the most in your life? The person that has lied to Dustin the most is not Rachel or my mom or my brother or people close to me. The person that has lied to Dustin the most is Dustin. You know how many unkept promises and, and things I was going to start and never started and things I was going to sustain and never sustained? And You see what I'm saying? And the reason all of that is is because we're broken, sinful people. And when we start understanding that, it makes more sense into the cosmos, the big picture of what's going on. We have an all-creating God where things were great. Sin enters. Well, how did those two get mended? Because God's good, and what God's not going to do is sweep that sin under the rug and say, you know what, Dustin? You're redheaded and maybe tell a funny joke and, you know, etc. And we're going to just sweep your sin under the rug and let you into heaven forever. That's not God. God wouldn't be worth worshiping if he did that. So what did he do? He sent his son to pay the price for my sin and your sin so that now we can walk across the bridge, not stand in the middle and praise ourselves, but so that we can walk across the bridge, get there, and then we can glorify God forever, right? And spend eternity doing that. That's why I tell people all the time, you know, you get around people, and what do they say? I can't wait to get to heaven and ask God blank. And I'm thinking... If you're already questioning God, negotiating with God now, heaven's probably not going to be enjoyable for you. You know what I mean? Because we're going to be worshiping that God the whole time. That's, that's what it's going to be. That's why we get, we're, we're in an in-between stage now where we get to see God's glory and, and worship Him. And we get to see how that kingdom's going to be a little bit. But we're in an overlap because the kingdom's still not here and there's sin still left on this earth and in this world. And one day that's going to be solved and done, okay? So that's the, the, the three parts. We have to teach them who God is. We teach them sin. And then we teach them that the one who paid the ultimate price for that was Christ. But here's the thing we talked about with Simon. Is he understood that, but he wasn't really ready to place faith in that and submit to that. And that's where a lot of times in our culture, I would say that the biggest separation happens. Is in our life or in our, in our mind, we know that. But for whatever reason, it doesn't play out. We don't submit to that in our everyday life. And so our response is this. If we place faith in what Christ did, that's salvation. All it takes is faith. If anybody adds to faith, then we lose the gospel. We lose the good news of Christ. We talk about this all the time. The, the, the playing field is level at the cross. I don't work a little harder to get saved. You don't work a little harder to get saved. We all just place faith in Christ and His finished work on the cross for salvation. When we explain that to somebody, that's why it's good news because it's not something we have to do. It's something that's already been done. 
And we place faith in that. And then that's the first response. And the second is we walk in submission to Christ. And that's the gospel. Now, how we take that on terms and break it down and filter it into people's lives is why God's given us the spirit. It's why God's given us experiences. It's why we have community in here. It's why we're the body of Christ because somebody else has walked through something. Somebody else has walked through this thing and we all come together and we can encourage one another. But we have to get back then to being ready, right? We understand it, but we have to be ready. We have to be ready and in a good place so that we understand the gospel enough to share it. But we also, at the same time, are in a good place with the Lord so that our heart is right and we're looking for opportunities to be able to share it. Because that's what we see from Philip. It wasn't one or the other. Philip had the knowledge, but he wasn't too busy to stop and share with the eunuch, right? Now, an angel came and told him to, which would be nice, okay? I will say, angels just flew around and were like, go talk to this guy. He's ready to get saved. It's not quite that easy, okay? But what we do know is, is that if we are in a good place, we're willing to submit, we're willing to be sensitive enough to the Spirit to look around us, we're willing to get outside our own selves and our own issues enough that we can then be a participant, right? We can play a part in the mission of God and in the kingdom of God, rather than just absorbing all the benefits that God's given us in the cross, and we realize that we're a vessel to be used to, that's when we start being ultimately satisfied in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, I'm thankful for your word. God, I'm thankful for who you are. Lord, I'm thankful for this story of Philip. And God, I pray now that, God, wherever people are in here, God, maybe it's just encouragement. They're in a dry time. God, maybe it's uh, a conviction or um, a challenge to, to learn the gospel well enough that, God, it's like, it's like something we could teach somebody in our career. But God, I pray that either way you would convict us and encourage us, God, so that we can be players in your kingdom. God, help none of us be satisfied with sitting on the sidelines. God, help us play a part in your kingdom. God, make us a church that... God is linked arms and strong together and deep in fellowship and relationships, God. But help us be linked arms facing outward. Help us be people that God can, in a, in a sense, get outside of our own selves, God, to see that there's a bigger picture, a bigger plan, God. Something bigger going on here, which is you redeeming the nations, you redeeming people for your glory through Christ. And God, I pray that we would walk daily with understanding that, God, help that be our vision. Help that be what we see as our purpose here for life. God, we love you. God, we're thankful for who you are. God, we're ultimately thankful for the cross and for you providing salvation for us. And God, we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Love you guys so much. We'll see you back next Sunday. Y'all have a good weekend.